Hey, this is Josiah popping in before the episode just to let you know that we now have an Instagram account for Nothing Happens in Valleygate. You can find it at Visit Valleygate, and I'll be posting some of the art that I do for the podcast as well as maybe some production photos and some other fun things there, and y'all can interact with me there as well. So look forward to hearing from you and look forward to seeing you on Instagram. Thanks so much. Now let's get into the episode. Nothing happens in Valleygate. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous week this last week. It wasn't too hot or too cold. The temperature settled to the point of only needing a long-sleeved something to feel comfortable outside. The sun showed itself nearly every day and offered a bit of warmth when the wind decided to make itself known. A wind that reddened the cheeks and bit at the nose like sandpaper on an old eraser. The clouds were on their way for the weekend, however, they stayed away just long enough for the Titans over at the high school to claim victory on Friday night against the Thundervale Dragons, their first game at home. And that evening was filled with celebration. It was cold that evening, and Luciana Daynute brought a thermos filled with hot chocolate. She had received it as a gift from Kinder Whitetail during a winter's wild party last year. It had a little marshmallow character on it, enjoying a bath in a tub of hot chocolate. She loved the thermos and was thankful for it in the cold evening at the football stadium there at the high school. Following the game, all the football players and cheerleaders and their friends gathered at the Titan Valley Sports Bar for half-off appetizers, and Philip Blacksummer, the owner there at the sports bar, offered free sodas to anyone who purchased an appetizer as a congratulations on the win. The team's record is now 2-2 going into homecoming weekend next week. Saturday, it was completely gray as a blanket of clouds stretched as far as the eye could see. The clouds hung low in the highest peaks of the giant seat the mountain range valley gate perches on. They were not visible and the horizon faded into the mists, and so the town gave off an air of being trapped in a huge dome, and if anyone drove too far out of town, they'd vanish into the mist or come to some invisible wall. It's October now, and with it comes a sense of mystery, other worlds crossing over into our own. Autumn has long been thought to be the apex of the spiritual and material world's path across the cosmos, a time when they grow close to one another, and as such, there is a window of time where the two can access the other to engage in the special relationship between flesh and spirit. But in this modern age, much of the material world has forgotten this bond. It's grown so arrogant to where it believes that only what we can see and explain is real, and it's no wonder the spirits don't bother visiting us any longer, and anyone who claims to see them are waved away, or are only given the legitimacy of an Arcanet article listing the seven most haunting stories you haven't heard before. But in Valleygate there are still some true believers, and at the very least, the memory of what once was lives on in the traditions of the Spirit Festival we celebrate every October. What once was an ancient ritualistic fortnight of prayer, sacrifice, and communion with the beyond has now, in most of the world, turned into a commercialized, food-filled, mischief-making, sugar-suffused celebration of autumn's gifts. Visages of the once-feared elder spirits now appear as masks in department stores, and the idea of a being from another world knocking on your door and demanding food is reenacted by children hoping for candy. But in Valleygate, threads of the spiritual tradition remain tethered to our culture, maybe because of our proximity to some of nature's mightiest works or our greater-than-normal reliance on nature's bounty to feed ourselves. Whatever the case, the celebration of the Spirit Festival is a grand occasion in our little town. 
We celebrate in many different ways. There's even a community feast that takes place in the town square, but among the more ancient of practices is construction of tiny spirit shelters, no bigger than a couple feet tall, known as spirit coops. Each family, each business will construct one and set it out on their front porch or on the sidewalk and they'll fill it with food and candy and drawings and poetry. They'll paint the outside with bright colors and do everything they can to attract, if not a spirit, then maybe a fairy or something to bring them luck for the next year. We tell our children that when the food is gone, it means a spirit has come, and we'll often leave a gold coin or something as a thank you, and so it's the parent's job to go out every few nights and clear out the food, which is usually non-perishable, so it doesn't go to waste, and they replace it with a gold coin from their wallet. But every now and again, a parent will go out and find that there is one fewer wrapped caramels, or an apple has been bitten in an odd pattern, and that maybe, just maybe... And so when the clock ticked over to October 1st on Sunday, spirit coops made by Valleygate citizens began to appear around town. They were of varying degrees of quality and decor. Some families put their own scarecrows together as well and placed them out in the front yard to scare off any evil spirits that may come knocking. In spirit festivals of yore, these scarecrows were set up by a vigilant group of volunteers who had placed them in strategic locations in the woods or along roads on the town's border to keep the bad spirits away. You should see some of the scarecrows these volunteers came up with back then. There's always an exhibit set up around this time of year to show them. They're huge, almost like massive effigies of a horrifying nature. And the spectacle of it all attracts folks from surrounding villages and even out of the country of Truffles Landing to come and see the coops and scarecrows. There's something about this ancient practice coupled with Valleygate's remote nature of being buried in trees and perched on a mountain that excites people from out of town. They feel like they're traveling back in time to an occult village in the wilderness. They climb in the car and drive hours just to idle through town and see what folks have come up with every year. Aaron Blackfawn, a junior at the university, was among the few Valleygate residents who felt a growing sense of unease as October approached. For Aaron, October is the busiest month of the year. She spends most of the summer preparing herself for it, growing sage in the woods and sourcing rock salt from Grimvault and carving totems from Ghostwood. These are the tools of a witch, but not an old, green, warty crone, no, though these hags do still walk the earth in the wilderness. Erin is a young, fair, freckled, bespectacled gal with the red-orange hair of her family. She practices witchcraft as a means of helping people. She sees the potential for good despite what her sisters have told her. And every October, she sets to work setting up wards in the wilderness to prevent the spirits from arriving. They're a mischievous bunch, these spirits, and they can cause all kinds of havoc, especially when they're young. Some slip by her wards, but not many, and she's always prepared with means of capturing them and releasing them back into the wild. She takes pride in this job. She knows that the reason folks don't believe the spirits intervene any longer is because of witches like her around the world working in secret to keep the tides of the spirit world at bay and stop them from intervening in the day-to-day. But she doesn't work totally alone. Her boyfriend, Theo, another student at the university, runs her errands, setting up some of the wards, making adjustments to scarecrows folks have set out so they're a little more effective and spreading sage in areas of higher spiritual traffic, mainly on the north side of town at the edge of the woods. He's a great help to her, and he always seems so interested in the work, even though he admits it goes over his head sometimes, and he always admires her, loves to watch her work and experiment. In her mind, she thinks of him as a test to see if her teaching skills are up to snuff. She wants witchcraft to remain relevant and to teach it to her children someday. 
Witchcraft is a lost practice. Magic in general isn't taught or even discussed in polite company any longer. And while people acknowledge its place in the long history of the world, the wars, the incredible inventions and feats, its secrets are believed by most who have been lost to time. And those that haven't been lost are used in the advancement of technology. And when a world has lived with magic for long enough, it eventually just becomes science. But there are those who still practice magic in its truest form, those that have preserved the old ways and can tap into that wellspring, and Erin is one of those people. She arrived in Valleygate a few years back, her freshman year of college, but this last summer, Erin and her two older sisters moved to Valleygate for good. They'd moved many times in the last ten years after their mother's passing, and so Erin was eager to go to college where she could stay put and return to the same place every year. She chose the University of Truffles Landing due to its incredible natural surroundings, but most of all, to add some distance between her and her sisters. However, the eldest of the three, Avery, wanted them to stay together, and so Avery and Branna moved to Valleygate. This move caused more stress for Erin. Her sisters had left behind the life of witchcraft shortly after their mother had died and wanted Erin to do the same. Erin was only beginning her training at the time, but Avery and Branna had already endured years of their mother's strict, tyrannical, and at times morally questionable instruction in the ways of the witch. And when she had passed, Erin remembers her sisters burning all their mother's tomes and scrolls that at one time had been a comforting sight to Erin, a promise that magic was real and that she'd learn how to harness it someday. But they were gone, just like that, her whole future decided for her by her older sisters, especially Avery. But the bad taste of magic in Avery's mouth didn't stop her from taking advantage of her mother's connections in the witching community. For the first few years, they jumped from coven mother to coven mother, living as long as they could off of their hospitality and kindness to the children of an old friend. But the three sisters would vanish in the night just as soon as Avery caught a whiff that the coven mother expected something in return. At first, Erin loved seeing the incredible lives of these coven mothers. She was fascinated by witchcraft. It had promised her the world, and she saw what it could do, the magic it produced, and she was filled with wonder. But when Erin showed signs of a certain affinity for it or tried to curse a bully at school, Avery would do her best to quash any training or instruction the coven mothers would suggest. Witchcraft is dangerous, Erin. It killed our mother, and if you're not careful, it could kill you too, Avery would say. But what Aaron's sisters didn't know is that she had squirreled away a few of their mother's spellbooks all those years ago and would stay up late at night poring over them, studying what she could about the world of witchcraft and what it was capable of. And over the years, as they jumped from coven to coven, she'd borrow a potion-making book here and a ritual manual there. The most prized book she owned, however, was her mother's personal field journal, which had been enchanted to contain hundreds more pages than it appeared to, and was filled with her mother's scribblings and notes over the years on every topic imaginable. No one could accuse Felicity Blackfawn of being disorganized, and Erin used the book to teach herself the ways of witchcraft, or at least what she could piece together. But now that her sisters were in town, Erin's magical exploits had to remain that much more secret. And so Erin had moved all of her witching tools from her dorm room closet to a hovel she constructed in the woods between the high school and the university. Even if it wasn't heated or air-conditioned, at least it was hidden. It was in this hovel that Erin spent most of her evenings brewing up healing drafts for her sick friends that she'd sneak into their morning coffee and creating wards for the spirits that intended to cause havoc in town during the spirit festival. Tuesday evening was no different for her. She placed her mother's book down onto the desk she had dragged in from her dorm and began gathering the ingredients for a memory potion to give to her friend Liliana Chiliwhirl, who was stressing about an upcoming test in her arcane botany class. 
It had taken Aaron some time to find a wolf fang, but with miraculous luck, she found one just outside the Shepherd's Nook Cafe a few weeks back. She ground it up with some sage and cinnamon as well as crushed pumpkin seeds to increase the memory potency for the essay questions. But as she did so, she heard a crunching of leaves outside the hovel. It was heavier than an animal could make, and she paused. She waited, but no sound came. She peeked outside the hovel, and she couldn't see anything in the blackness of the night. All she could hear were the crickets, and the soft wind, and the distant loons on the lake in Upper Valley Gate. And then, a knock at the door. Aaron looked at it for a moment. She didn't know what to do. She put down her mortar and pestle and crept over to the makeshift door and prayed that this evening, nothing happens in Valleygate. Nothing Happens in Valleygate was written, recorded, edited, and sound designed by me, Josiah Duff. And the music at the beginning and the music that you're hearing now is by Andy Ferris, my good friend. Thanks, Andy, so much. Thank you so much for listening to episode four of Nothing Happens in Valleygate, folks. I am blown away by the response the podcast received in the past few weeks. There have been a huge influx of you who have gotten to come into Valleygate and experience the spooky and cozy vibes as we head into the fall season. Why not you share those spooky and cozy vibes uh, with your friends and family so they too can experience it as we head into October. I've got some fun things planned for October that both you and all of your friends and family are going to really enjoy. Speaking of, in October, there are five Mondays, and I'm planning on releasing every Monday so you guys can have a slice of Valleygate uh, more often than you normally would throughout the spooky fall season of October. The first four or five episodes will be uh, typical sort of narration like I've done before, but then we have a special surprise for you for Halloween, so you're not going to want to miss it, so stick around for that. Go ahead and subscribe to Nothing Happens in Valleygate on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. I guess we're also on Podcast Addict. I didn't even mean to put that there, but it's there, so uh, yeah. Uh, You can leave a comment on Podbean or you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I've received a couple in the last couple days, and I'd just like to read them. The first one is from Myron Taslov. They, They put five stars, and they say, Lovely, cozy story with a hint of mystery. I'm really enjoying the show. It's great and soothing to listen to, and I love how the episodes match the changing seasons. Feels like real life, but with little hints here and there that there's something more to this world. Highly recommend to anyone looking for a feel-good fiction podcast. Myron, thank you so much. Following the seasons is one of the main things I wanted to do, and also a cozy story with a hint of mystery hits it right on the head. That's exactly uh, what I wanted to do, so thank you so much for that review. The second one is from Bria Dawn. Five stars, they say, Great listen. I love meeting these characters and can't wait to hear what other nothing happens to them. That's right. I promise nothing will happen to them. Lastly, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at visitvalleygate at gmail.com. So you can send what you think about the show, sort of theories on what you think this uh, secret sixth episode in October is going to end up being, uh, or whatever you want. I would love to see some art. If you have any art that you want to put together or some of the characters or the places I've talked about, I would love to see that. Well, that's all I have for you folks. So thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.